Well, good morning. We thank you again for joining us on this Sunday morning as we gather uh, to worship together as we gather around God's word. Before we do that this morning, I just want to take a moment to thank you guys, so many of you guys, and this has been the case uh, way before even uh, this pandemic, of the way you guys have always responded, uh, the way you guys have always sought to minister. I mean, just in these past six weeks, uh, in talking to Pastor Kyle, uh, our director of, of missions and outreach here, you know, he was just explaining to me and sharing with me some of the numbers um, in which ministry uh, has been taking place, that for the last six weeks, on a weekly basis as a body here, we have been uh, helping to support over 100 families each week uh, with their groceries, 50 of them uh, not able to make it to the site to actually uh, pick up um, the, the items. And so we have individuals who are taking it to them. Not only that, over 3,000 pounds of produce uh, has been donated, given, bought, um, for you know, the purpose of ministering to our community, 2,000 cans of, of, of non-perishable uh, items. Again, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your willingness uh, to minister in this time. I believe this is the church being the church. This is an opportunity for us as a body of believers to love uh, the way Christ has loved and to point people uh, to the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so thank you uh, again, just for your generosity to our children's ministry, our student ministry. I mean, each week uh, we have those who are coming by donating masks and leaving uh, cards and, and posters of encouragement. God bless you and thank you uh, in the way that you love. And thank you again for uh, all those who are serving week in and week out uh, on the front lines. We are praying for you. Those who um, are experiencing this virus, we are praying for you. Uh, and we believe that, again, that the Lord is doing um, great things, even in the midst of this difficult time, that God is doing some powerful things. And I know he's been stirring in my heart. And so I want to encourage you this morning. If you do uh, have your Bibles, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me uh, to Psalm 27. A couple of weeks ago, we began the series in the book of Psalms. It's no wonder that this has been the hymn book of God's people for generations, for thousands of years. And I pray that this is something that encourages your heart. I pray that this is something that allows you to take the emotions that you're experiencing and to allow those emotions to be really in many ways addressed in truth. And that's what you have in the book of Psalms. I mean, even this past week, I saw this definition and I thought it was so good. It said this, the Psalms feature the emotional experience of the writer intentionally against the backdrop of divine truth. And so what you have in the book of Psalms, well, obviously these are songs, right? This is poetry, right? These were meant to be sung and these are words of encouragement and words of hope. But what you find in the book of Psalms is you find where God's word addresses, I believe, every single emotion that we experience in our lives. And you see that in its writings, right? We know we've been focusing on David and David's writings. We know that King David is responsible uh, or attributed to over half of these Psalms. And we know that in the life of David, I mean, this was a man who went through many different seasons, many different valleys, many different peaks. We know that he's the only one in scripture described as a man after God's own heart, a man of passion, a man of destiny. However, we know that he was not perfect. We know that there were times in David's life where he was unfaithful. There were times in David's life where he ran from the Lord. There were times in David's life we know of the sin of adultery, the sin ultimately of murder. He was not a perfect man. This was a man who, who knew what it was like to, to, to experience failure. This was a man who knew what it was like to experience success. 
But whether he was in the valley or he was on the peak, his emotions were constantly and consistently placed against the backdrop of divine truth. And what you find in the writings of David, and I pray that you can um, identify with this because I know I can, is he's honest. He's honest. He's honest in his, in his struggles. He's honest in, in the places where he cries out to God. And he says, God, can you even hear me? And he makes himself vulnerable. And I pray that through this series that you're encouraged. And I pray that through this series, we see the pattern in which that even David, in the seasons of his life of darkness and questions and doubt, he was consistently placing those emotions against the backdrop of divine truth. And that's what we need. Two weeks ago, we looked at that passage in Psalm 40 where he prays, may your truth preserve us. And that is our prayer, that in this season, in this time of questions and doubts and all these unknowns, that may God's truth preserve us. But what you have right here is a book that is real, right? We have real men and women who walk through real situations and circumstances of life. And what you find throughout the the word of God is you find really in many ways this constant battle in the heart's of God's people between fear and faith. I read this quote this past week that said this, fear and faith live real close to one another, another, that they're neighbors within our hearts. And what you find is this, that they're constantly and consistently fighting for territory. And we see that even in the life of God's people. From Genesis to Revelation, we see that we have men and women who are wrestling with the circumstances of their lives. They're wrestling with the questions of, okay, this is divine truth. God has revealed it. How does it line up with where I'm at in my struggle? And there's a battle between fear and faith. It's no coincidence that over 365 times, one for every day of the year, we find in God's word, fear not. Because it's a battle that we all face. And I pray you're encouraged with the words of David this morning. Psalm 27, you know, this, as you study God's word, you find these even though moments. And that's my prayer that as God grows me and God leads me, I want to be one of those individuals. I want to be one of those even though followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we think about it, right? We have testimony of scripture. Daniel, you think of Daniel, right? Here's Daniel who who says, Lord, I pray for deliverance. I pray that you will shut the mouths of these lions, even though, even if you don't. I will continue to praise you. Noah, right? I mean, there's another even though, like even though I've never seen rain and seen water fall from the sky, I will still trust you. Just a couple of months ago, we went through the study of Habakkuk and he makes that claim, right? Hey, Lord, this is our prayer of deliverance. But even though, even if, even if the barns are not full and even if if our land is destroyed, even if we will still Praise you. I think one of the most famous, even though uh, passages, is Psalm 23. And, and we're going to look at that passage in a couple of weeks because the Lord has really been stirring in my heart through Psalm 23. But you'll recognize this Psalm 23, 4. Even though, what does he say? I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What does he say? I will fear no evil. And then he tells us why. For you are with me. Hear this this morning. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff. They comfort. I don't want you to miss this. I'm just going to speak on this briefly before we move into Psalm 27. David found comfort in the rod and the staff of God. First of all, comfort that the Lord was with him and that he had promised that he would never forsake him, never leave him. He says, your rod, your staff, your staff to guide me. 
right? The staff of a shepherd as he guides his sheep. Hey, you're, you're taking the wrong step. Let me gently put you back on the path in which you are to follow. But your rod, what was the rod? The rod was for protection. That is that shepherd is protecting the sheep. And as that shepherd is there guarding the sheep, that rod is there to say, hey, I'm here that even when you are faced with your enemies, as your shepherd, I will protect you. And David says, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. And my comfort is found in the fact that the God of this universe is with me. And we see this even in the writings of Psalm 27. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to stand with me in reverence of reading God's word. Psalm 27. Now, we don't know exactly some of the Psalms of David. We know specifically the setting. Some of the Psalms, right? We know the prayer of repentance. We know follows his sin of adultery. We know that, you know, the, the, the prayer of, of, of even deliverance. You can find specific situations where you can say, okay, this is what's happening in David's life. Psalm 27, there's speculation. Some say, well, this is the time where he's running from Saul early in his life. Others say, no, this is later in his life. This is where he's running from his life from his own son, Absalom. And I believe that that's the case. I believe this is later in the life of King David. And he's literally running for his life. I mean, this was the king who's now been removed from the palace. This is the king removed from his land. And he's now in darkness, not knowing whether or not his life might end that day. And he cries out to God. I want you to see this. That in the midst of his questions and in the midst of his darkness, he doesn't turn to other things. He turns to the Lord and he comes to a final conclusion as he ends this psalm. But I want you to notice that as we work through this psalm, you're going to see his emotions. You're going to see a man who, 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 who is just real. And you'll see him weave in and out of, of faith to fear and then back to faith. And I believe you just see the realness. Some people say, well, no, it's two different authors. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe what we find here is something that we can all identify with. That in our walk with the Lord, man, there are times that we move into the place of fear. There are times that God takes us out of fear and into faith. How quick we can move back into that place. But our hope is in him. Psalm 27, we're just gonna read the first verse and then we're gonna work through these 14 verses of scripture. And I pray you encourage this morning. The Bible says this, verse one. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, well, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that your truth preserves us. We thank you for the realness of this book in front of us, Lord. Yes, we believe that it is living, that it is powerful, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. But Lord, as we look into these stories, we see real people, real struggles, real pain, real questions, real doubts, real fears, the same exact things that we wrestle with today, especially in the time that we're in. And so, Lord, again, our prayer is what David prays, that you would lift our eyes off of our circumstances, that you would lift our eyes off of maybe darkness and place it upon light, that you would set our minds upon the things above. May your truth continually preserve us. May we be encouraged this morning with the simple truth of knowing that in Christ, that for all those who have turned from their sins and, pro and professed Christ as Savior, we can say, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We thank you for that promise that cannot be broken. May that encourage our hearts this morning. May it take us deeper in our pursuit of you. 
We pray it, we ask it in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, as you can see, I'm continuing to work on my flock of seagulls hairdo. Now, for some of you, um, that reference may have flew straight over your hairdo. Um, uh, you can Google it. I would usually say if you're sitting here, don't, because I could look out here and tell the ones who are Googling it. But I know that uh, for those who are just sitting in their living room, you're going to do it. You can do that. Look it up, and, and you'll see that I'm kind of rocking the, the flock of seagulls. But I made a reference to Tristan's haircut last week and, and immediately received uh, some other pictures from some of our other members within our church of their hairdos. And I will say I thought Tristan's was bad until I saw some of y'all's. All right, so let's walk through this passage, and I pray you're encouraged with the truth that is found here. Verse one, what does he say? He speaks of his confidence, not confidence in his circumstances, not confidence in his own abilities, confidence in the power of God. Look at what he says here in verse one. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? We talked about this last week, the personal aspect of this. We saw it last week where he says, God, you are God, but you are my God, Elohim, yes, you are God and all the power that lies therein, but guess what? You belong to me. You are my God. I am your son. That's what he's crying out, the personal pronouns. The Lord is my light, my salvation, the strength of my life. What is he speaking to? He's speaking to his relationship. This isn't practicing a religion here. Religion could do him no good as he's there in darkness in the caves hiding for his life. Religion was of no value to him. But his relationship, his relationship with the God of this universe, his relationship with the all-powerful one, and he says, listen, everything that you are, I have access to. And so what does he say? You are my light. You are my salvation. My deliverance is what he's saying. And then he comes to the logical conclusion. Whom shall I fear? If this is the case, why should I fear? Again, hear the heart of David riding from a place of darkness. What does he do? He claims God's light. He's not just saying God gives light or God gives salvation, but rather God is light. God is salvation. And we know we see these references in scripture. Psalm 103 verse two, it says, God wraps himself in light. First Timothy 6, 16, the Lord dwells in unapproachable light. First John 1, 5, the Bible says, God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. David cries out from the cave, God, you are God and you are mine. You are my light, you are my salvation. And then he comes to the logical conclusion, whom shall I fear? I pray you have that assurance this morning. That in Christ, right, we can proclaim, right, if God is for us, then who can be against us, right? That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, be strong, not in yourself, but be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I think about what Jesus said in John 16 as he's looking to his disciples, as he's preparing them, but also as he's preparing us. He says these words in verse 33, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Now listen to the words of, of Jesus here. You would think he would say, okay, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Your lives are gonna be easy and comfortable. That's not what he says. He says, I tell you these things that you may have peace. And then listen to the very next statement that he makes. You will have trouble. What he says. Well, hold on, Jesus. You just talked about peace. And the very next statement is that I'm gonna experience trouble in my life, I'm gonna experience hardships in my life, I'm gonna experience suffering in my life. Yes, but here's the peace. Very next thing, but take heart. I 
have overcome the world. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Again, here we are 2,000 years standing on this side of an empty tomb. Here is David 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus proclaiming the faithfulness of God. How much more can we say he is my light, he is my salvation in Christ, the promise fulfilled, whom shall I fear? Look at the last part of this. I find this so interesting. David says, the Lord is my light, he is my salvation, whom shall I fill? Now listen to what he says here. The Lord is what? The strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Now let's not forget who's saying these words. I mean, we're talking about one of the greatest warriors, right? I mean, ever to live. I mean, here was a young man out tending the sheep, and yet he had already said, man, I've killed a bear. I've killed a lion. That giant ain't nothing. There's this teenage boy, battle-tested, one of the greatest warriors ever. I mean, even we know that his heart was to build the temple and God said, no, that will be done by your son Solomon. Why? Because there's too much blood upon your hands. One of the greatest warriors ever to live. And yet he identifies and acknowledges right here that the strength of his life is not his physical stature, his experiences, or what he brings to the table. He says, the Lord is my strength, whom shall I fear? Notice the next verse, man, his confidence in God's power is based upon what God had already done in his life. Look at verse two. When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Interesting. I believe that as David is writing these words, his mind immediately is reflecting back to Goliath. Because if you remember, if you go back to the passage and you remember even the words of Goliath, you go back to 1 Samuel 17, Verse 44 and 45, you'll find this passage. It says, and the Philistine said to David, come to me, and listen to what he says, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So no wonder David would say this in verse two, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh. That's what Goliath had claimed he was going to do but they stumbled and they fell. Though an army camp against me, right? What does the Bible say in Psalm 23, verse six, I believe, verse five, you know, I will prepare a table in the midst of your enemies. Not remove you from your enemies, but we're gonna feast even those those enemies have encamped around you, you'll be protected. What a promise. And we see that here. Though an army may encamp against you, my heart shall not fear, he says. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be calm. Now, it starts out real good. Again, we're going to see David move through these emotions. He begins with proclaiming faith, and it continues continues more. Look at what he says here in verse 4. He moves now from his confidence into the Lord, and I want you to see this, to his desire for God, that even in the midst of his struggles and in the darkness of his circumstances, his ultimate prayer is not, God, deliver me from this. His ultimate prayer is, God, may you reveal yourself in this. Look at verse four. One thing I've desired of the Lord, he says, that will, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of his temple. David now puts his desire into actions. He not only desires the fellowship of the Lord, but what do you find him doing? He is actively seeking after him. In his place of darkness, in his place of question, in his place of pain, what do you find him doing? Seeking 
the Lord, I shared this last Sunday, of sitting out there and hearing a pastor say, hey, you want a prescription for suffering? Start praising the Lord for the things that he's already done, for the things that he's already proven himself faithful in your life. Hey, do you have salvation? Do you know Christ as your savior? Start there. And here is David saying, hey, I'm gonna seek you, that even in the place where I am, I'm going to seek you. And more important than my deliverance and comfort is to know you. More important than my deliverance and comfort is to know you. So he says, this one thing I'm gonna do, I'm gonna seek you. I'm gonna keep seeking. And I'm gonna not stop seeking. I mean, I think about what Jesus says, right? Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. James 4, 8, right? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How's your seeking going, right? I remember our professor used to ask us that every Tuesday. We would walk into the class and he'd say, listen, I'm not asking about your grades. I'm not asking about your papers. How's your seeking going? How's your walk with the Lord going? Even in this time and in a place where David was at, can you say the same thing? That, hey, even in this place, this one thing I do, I seek after you. Confidence in your power, but a desire for your presence. He says, one thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. I love this all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now we know that, again, Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, it ends in verse 6. And it ends with the famous phrase that says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, in looking at the difference between what he says there in Psalm 23, verse 6, and what he says here in Psalm 27, verse 4, I believe there is a difference in what he's speaking of. In Psalm 23, I believe it is an eternal perspective as he is reflecting upon the eternal promise of being with the Lord in the house of the Lord for all of eternity. But here, I believe he's giving an earthly perspective where he says, all the days of my life, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. To behold the beauty of the Lord in the now, to inquire in his temple. I believe he is speaking of gathering in the house of God. And here he is in a cave, maybe, in the wilderness, maybe somewhere hiding in darkness. And his heart's desire to be in the house of God. And I look at that, and again, man, where we are today, I, I, I can't wait for the time that we can gather back together in this room. And we don't know when that's going to be, and we don't know how that's going to play out. We trust the Lord. He's sovereign in all of this. There is something special about the gathering of God's people. Yes, there is something special about coming and corporately worshiping him together. And I do look forward to the day that we can gather with haircuts to worship him physically together. And here is David, I believe, reflecting upon that. I read this commentary. I thought it was very interesting. It said this. It said, it wasn't that the earthly structure so fascinated David or captivated his mind because he wrote this when the tabernacle tent served as rather a humble temple for Israel. Before the wonderful building, as we know that Solomon built, it was not the earthly temple itself that charmed David, but rather the beauty of the Lord. This is where his mind went to. The beauty of the Lord that was to be found at the temple in a special way. Man, I know it looks different right now. What a Sunday that will be. I I get goosebumps right here just even thinking about us being in this room, lifting our voices together, opening God's word together, fellowshipping together. I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know how it's going to play out, but there is something powerful about that. However, we know 
that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so whether we can gather physically or not, hey, we gather in oneness of spirit. Here's David in a place of darkness, desiring the presence of God. Hear that. In a place of darkness, desiring the presence of God. Look at what he says here in verse 5. He moves from confidence in the Lord to a desire for God to now he proclaims protection. Look at what he says here in verse 5. For the, for, from the time in trouble, he shall hide me. Notice what he says in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He, ha- he shall set me high upon a rock. Now, David's giving reference here, uh, the royal pavilion. The royal pavilion was the place where the king would gather. Now, David was a warrior. David was not the type of king to stay back in the palace while his men went out and fought, right? He would go with them, and what he would do is he would encamp amongst his armies in the royal pavilion. And so it's this royal tent, basically, for the king, surrounded by his armies. And so you see what his mind is doing here is he's reflecting upon the protection that that provided as the king. He's taking it to a whole nother level. And he's saying, listen, I am in the pavilion of the king of kings, of the Lord of lords. I am protected by his hands. Colossians 3, verse 1, right? Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seating at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things, for you're died and, you're, and your life is now, what does it say? Hidden, protected, guarded with Christ and God. Don't miss this. He's not proclaiming a promise that God's going to prevent all trouble. Psalm 23, verse 5, right? You prepare a table amongst my enemy. He doesn't say you've removed me from my enemy. But he says we feast. That even though the enemies have encamped around me, I am under the protection of the God of this universe. That even though like a roaring lion, they are there seeking to devour, I'm under the sovereign hand of God. And before the foundations of this earth, guess what? It was appointed a time for me to be born. It was appointed a time for me to die. And there ain't nothing the enemy can do. There ain't nothing this world can do to change that. And so until that moment comes, I am resting in the protection of the God of this universe. He proclaims it, his confidence in God, his desire for God, but his protection in God. Look at what he says here in verse five. He shall set me high upon a rock. We immediately go back to Psalm 40, verse one and two, two weeks ago, where he says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me. He gave me his ear. He heard me and he brought me out of that pit. What does he say? Out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He did for me what I could not do for myself. When I was trying to get myself out of it, the more effort I did, the more I sunk. By his power, he set my feet upon a solid rock. He's singing praises in the midst of his pain. He's singing praises in the midst of his questions. He's singing praises in the midst of his doubt. Look at what he says here in verse 6. Now, it's going to change in just a moment. The transition comes in verse 7. Look at what he says in verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Now, if the psalm ended right there, we would say, man, same length as Psalm 23. What a powerful psalm. But I think we would leave the psalm going, well, I don't know if David can really identify with some of my struggles because it really doesn't seem like he's, he's, he's really in the depths that I am in. 
what I want you to see is now the transition into verse seven. You're gonna see the heart of this man. And I don't believe this is two different authors. I believe this is still King David writing these words, but I believe it's something that we can relate to as we move through the avenue of faith, fear, back to faith. He proclaims truth. May your truth preserve us. Look at what he says here in verse seven. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. Again, the first half of the psalm might lead us to think that it was all easy for David. It it could lead us to think he never struggled with his faith, that here's a man who is described in Scripture, the only one described in Scripture, as a man after God's own heart. I can't identify with him, but he gives us a glimpse into his struggles. It could lead us to think that he never struggled with his faith, but yet David shows us that even he, the one who sought God with such passion, even felt that there were times when God did not hear him. I saw this quote from Charles Spurgeon this past week, and he, he made a statement about this verse. He said, we should pay close attention to David's anxiety to be heard by God. And then he used it as a comparison to the Pharisees. He said this, Pharisees care not if the Lord hears them. So long as they are heard by men or they charm their own pride, but with a genuine man, a man who seeks the Lord, the Lord's ear is everything. What he says here in verse eight, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me. O God of my salvation, you see the battle in front of you. You see the battle that is raging. These are different verses than we found in the first six verses. Notice David didn't become angry or turn his back against God, but you see the struggle that he's having right here, right? God had invited David to seek him, yet there was a sense in which David felt that God was hiding from him. That's why he says in those words, do not hide your face from me. But notice again, he didn't run from the Lord. Actually, he did the opposite. He sought God even more diligently. He pursued God even more desperately. And that's where you find those words, do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation, O God who alone can deliver. Let me say it again. Fear and faith live real close to one another. They're neighbors. And they're consistently and constantly fighting over the same territory, fighting over our minds, they're fighting over our hearts. And you see it in scripture, you see God's men, God's women working through the struggle because what? They're human beings just like you and I. They're operating from a sinful nature just like you and I. But yet they rest in truth. I believe David is battling his fears and the Lord has allowed us to watch him work through the same process that we work through. I don't know about you, I can identify with this. I do the same thing. I mean, I do it in my prayers. I mean, I can move from faith to fear and then back to faith again, just even within a couple of minutes of praying. Maybe you can identify where you say, Lord, I trust you. You have my trust. I I surrender to you. And then just 30 seconds later in your prayer, you can be saying, Lord, I'm struggling with trusting you. Lord, I've got joy and and I'm proclaiming joy, right? But Lord, I'm struggling in the area of joy. Like we've all been there. 
right? And that's the relationship, right? That's the wall. That's the spirit of God living and dwelling within us. And we see David going back and forth, but I love verse 10. Look at what he says. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. You see him working back and forth from his emotions to now his emotions being placed on the backdrop of divine truth. And now divine truth now reorganizing his emotions. In verse 10, he speaks of it, right? David knew that the love and care of God even went beyond the closest of human relationships. I don't believe that he's necessarily speaking into something specific here. I don't believe he is saying specifically that his mother and father physically forsake him. I believe what David is saying is that regardless of if there's no other human being, even the closest earthly relationship, a mom and dad who is standing beside me, even still God goes before me. I love this. Think about it. What does a child seek from a parent? Acceptance? A voice that wants to be heard? Guidance? Protection? Well, David's proclaimed all these things already, right? I mean, that's why he's proclaimed. He's saying, you are mine, I am yours. You are my God, you are my shepherd, Lord. Uh, you have delivered me, you have called me. Now hear my voice, hear my voice, guide me, protect me. Now notice what he prays for. I love this verse 11, what a prayer. What a prayer in a place of pain. What a prayer in a place of questions. What a prayer in a place of doubt. What a prayer for a child of God each day. Oh, Lord, teach me your way. And lead me, notice what he says, in a smooth path because of my enemies. Now, notice here, David doesn't ask for an easy path. He asked for a smooth path. What does that mean? A level path. Again, he is building upon, hey, place my feet upon a solid rock. No longer in the miry clay, no longer with the waters washing upon, but you, my deliverer, my salvation, may you establish me, may you set me, may you hold me, may you keep me. He is proclaiming what God has already promised. Verse 12, do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and such a breath out of violence. It's interesting, the word adversaries or enemy means watchful foes. We can identify with that. Every day in our lives, right? I mean, is spiritual warfare, fear and faith. There's a battle that is taking place and understand we're never idle in our walk with the Lord. And so that's why I'm asking you as that professor would ask us each week, I don't care about the sermon you've prepared. I don't care about the ministry you've done. How's your seeking going? How's your desire for the Lord going? Are you more consumed with the things that have been set, that are established, are our minds more consumed in the unknown? I love what he does here. Love what he does. Here. In the midst of all of his questions, in the midst of all of his pain, it comes back to the goodness of God. Look at this in verse 13. He says, in all of this, in running for my life. Again, we don't know if this is the earlier stage of his life or the latter. I believe it's the latter. He said, but in all of this, I would have lost heart. I would have given up unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Don't miss this. In the midst of David's pain and questions, what does he claim? He claims the goodness of God. 
God, you are good. You, can, you cannot cease to be good. God, you are good all the time, and all the time you are good. And I don't understand how all this is going to play out. And I don't know how anything good can come out of this, but Romans 8, 28 promises that. And so, Lord, if nothing else, I put my stock in the fact that at the heart of who you are, you are good. You are good. And if I can't trace your hands, I trust your heart. And the pain that I'm in, the doubt, the questions, my confidence is in you. We see David moving through his emotions. Yes, he proclaims confidence in the Lord and his desire for God. He proclaims protection. We see it move him to a place of intimacy. And it brings him to this logical conclusion to you and I. Verse 14, wait on the Lord. Let me say it again because I believe it's probably the hardest Four words found in scripture. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I want you to see this. Don't miss the progression of this verse of how one leads to another. That as we wait upon the Lord, the Lord continues to pour out courage into our hearts. And as that courage is being poured out into our hearts, he continues to strengthen us. And as he strengthens us, guess what? He empowers us to continue to wait. And as we wait, we can say, Lord, I trust, yes, in your goodness, but I trust in your timing. I trust in your sovereignty. You're not early. You're not late. I may not understand it. I may not get it, but I rest in it. Remember reading years ago the statement that says, waiting time is never wasted time. Charles Swindoll has done those character studies, different characters of the Bible. And I remember the, the one he wrote on David. And he made that statement that waiting time never wasted time. David, anointed to be king at 18, did not actually take the throne until he was 30, 12 years. He was waiting. But in that waiting, there were things that God was doing in his heart and his life to prepare him. There was no wasted time. Joseph, in prison for 13 years, wasted time? Absolutely not. Before God could raise him up in the palace, He had to do the work in his heart in the pit. Waiting time is never wasted time. And so here is David through all of his life experiences as he's poured out his heart. He says, listen, my conclusion to you and my conclusion to all those who may read these words is wait, wait, wait. Don't give up hope. Don't turn your back. Don't get bitter. Don't go a different direction. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And as he pours that courage into your heart, man, he's going to strengthen you. He's going to draw you. And you're going to experience the presence of God in a way that you could not have otherwise. What does it require? The hardest thing. Surrender. And I ask you this morning, can you relate to the emotional struggle, David? Can you relate to the ups and downs, the peaks and valleys, the questions, the doubts? I think we all can. God has given us his word that does not return void. Hear me. And each day we can say the words of David, Lord, you are my light. You are my salvation. You are my 
deliverer. My eyes are lifted up off of the unknowns, off of the gray areas, off of the questions, off of the doubts, and I lay my life at your feet. I ask you, have you done this? If it requires surrender, I believe it's the initial surrender, it's the consistent surrender. Have you had that initial surrender in your life? Can you say that? That you've come to that place of faith and repentance where you've said, Lord, I turn from my sins and by faith I profess Christ as my Savior. The Bible tells us we must be born again. What does it require? What requires a heart of surrender? But listen, that surrender does not end with that initial conversion. Every day in our lives, the Bible calls us to run to that altar of sacrifice and to say, Lord, the backdrop of my emotions and my questions, I trust you. And I lay my life down and I wait. But in my waiting, I seek and I seek. And my desire, even more than deliverance, is to know you in a way that I could not have Join with me, if you would, as we go to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we can gather around your word. And Lord, I know that even in the places where we have gathered, there are hearts, that there are lives that can identify with the struggle that we read here in the heart of David. And so, Lord, we pray that truth would preserve us. Lord, we pray that, that we would run to you each day, We would lay our lives down, Lord, that we would surrender to you, that we would rest in your perfect time. Lord, we pray for those right now. Lord, we pray for those right now that, Lord, who are searching for hope, Lord, may you point them to the hope that is found in Christ alone. And may we as your people be quick to point others to the place where we as beggars have found the food that fulfills. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the promises that do not return void. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. God bless you. May you have a wonderful week.